0: Mm-mm-mm-mm. Topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is benefits for daily life arising from intensive mindfulness meditation practice. Now, in the course of this Dhamma talk, we will explore just a few. Aspects, just a few benefits that certainly can can be derived from intensive practice and uh, benefits that certainly we experience during daily life. Now, for sure, this is not going to be mm, a very comprehensive talk because there are so many. Benefits uh, that uh, arise uh, uh, for daily, uh, for our daily life uh, from uh, intensive practice. Now, by now you will all be very familiar with the five hindrances. The five hindrances are: number one, the hindrance of mm-hmm. <laughs> Saints desire, yes, okay, <laughs> and then aversion. aversion, yes, indeed, and then sloth and torpor as number three, and then restlessness and remorse as number four, and skeptical doubt as number five. Now, A mind that is obsessed by any one or all of the five hindrances is a mind that does not operate properly. And in the Anguttara Nikaya, namely, it's Satna, uh, 5th uh, volume, section 193. There is certainly uh, this discourse, and then Satna, uh, the Buddha, gave to the Brahman Sangharava. And Satna, this Satna Brahman, approached Satna the Buddha and asked him why it is that sometimes um, he forgets hymns that he has learned a long time ago and hymns that Satna uh, uh, recited over and over again. Now, to this, the Buddha answers Brahman, when one dwells with a mind obsessed and oppressed by sensual lust and one does not understand as it really is, the escape from a risen sensual lust, on that occasion one neither knows nor sees as it really is, One's own, be- one's own good, or you might say, one's own benefit, one's own welfare, or the good welfare benefit of others, or the good welfare benefit of both. The same thing mm, then applies in the case of the hindrance of aversion. And suddenly the same thing also applies with regard to the remaining uh, three hindrances. So in all cases one uh, then does not know what is to one's own good, another's good, or the good of both. So that's sudden stating the case negatively. Having participated in a one month uh, retreat during uh, which uh, one has practiced mindfulness uh, intensively, one is likely to have uh, dealt with the hindrances and overcome those hindrances, not for good, but at least uh, uh, on a temporary basis which then means that the mind is at least at times purified of, or temporarily purified, of those hindrances. And if we manage to maintain some degree of mindfulness during our daily life, by uh, keeping up a formal practice as well as integrating mindfulness into our uh, daily life during uh, other activities outside of formal sitting or possibly formal uh, walking, then it's quite possible that the mind will be free from the hindrances and thus we will uh, see uh, see and know as certain things really are and Satna then will know what Satna is for our own good, for another's good, and the good of both. So during intensive practice, we come to recognize the hindrances we also learn how to overcome the hindrances and bring about a temporary purification of the mind now this certainly then may have a really important implication for um, you know, the decision-making process in daily life. There are so many decisions to be taken, uh, again and again. So decisions with regard certain to oneself, what one is going to do next in life. Decisions with regard to maybe one's relatives, with regard to one's sudden friends, maybe colleagues at work, and certain people who share a common interest. Now, when it comes to decision-making, you think the quality of a decision will be great if the mind happens to be filled or overwhelmed by the five hindrances at the time of decision-making? No, obviously. And it turns Out that or it can be observed in one's own uh, daily life that uh, those decisions that were taken when the mind at least temporarily was free of the hindrances purified of the hindrances those kind of decisions tend to be not okay Decisions, good decisions, but decisions that were taken in a hurry that went totally upset suddenly with another person. Those sudden decisions tend to be uh, flawed. So, just this uh, that might already make a big difference in your life. Now, the first volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 181, states the following, and that very much applies not only to intensive practice, but also to um, our ordinary life outside of retreat. Abandoning covetousness for the world, one abides with a mind free from covetousness. One purifies one's mind from covetousness. Abandoning ill will and hatred, one abides with a mind free from ill will. Compassionate for the welfare of all being living beings, one purifies one's mind from ill will and hatred. Abandoning sloth and torpor, one abides uh, free from sloth and torpor. A percipient of mindful and clearly comprehending, one purifies one's mind from sloth and torpor. Abandoning restlessness and remorse, one abides unagitated with a mind inwardly peaceful. One purifies one's mind from restlessness and remorse. Abandoning doubt, one abides having gone beyond doubt Unperplexed about wholesome states, one purifies one's mind from doubt. So, if during intensive practice one has learned to recognize the hindrances and to you know, Quickly overcome n- those certain hindrances. Then, what certain will remain uh, are wholesome uh, qualities, such as certain freedom from you know, covetousness, such as you know, being compassionate you know, towards certain, you know, compassionate for the welfare of all you know, sentient you know, beings, and you know, so on. Now. During just the very first few uh, days of an intensive retreat, by observing the predominant physical and certain mental formations, a retreatant uh, will uh, gradually get a better understanding of what is subnaturally going on in what one refers to as a being or a personality, and with this then gradually come to understand or to discern that satna you know, there are just uh, you know those two categories of formations bodily formations and satna you know, mental formations so mentality <laughs> and materiality and satna you know, those satna you know, too are you know, interdependent now this will you know, then help a person to temporarily purify one of the wrong view of a permanent certain self. Now, in the course of exploring what is certain present in the body and in the mind, one will come to discern not just body and mind but that when it comes to mental formations one comes to discern between wholesome and unwholesome formations and maybe also discover some of the ethically variable for mental states. And so just uh, knowing this difference between whole, what is wholesome and what is unwholesome may already make a huge difference in uh, your daily life. By that sudden time, you might then have found out already that when wholesome mental states are predominant in the mind, that this usually contributes, or usually is conducive, to the presence of happiness. Whereas when unwholesome mental states prevail, then we are not necessarily the happiest person in the world. Now that's just uh, uh, a second, uh, or is uh, just one aspect the point uh, that I'm, tr- I'm trying to get at is you know, discovering intentions discovering that our bodily or mental activities bodily verbal and certain mental activities are Are preceded by a mental impulse or a mental desire to do, to say, to think, or by a mental intention. Now, A person who does not undertake intensive practice might not necessarily be aware of those intentions and might suddenly think that um, he or she needs to act on each or act out on each and every thought, each and every impulse that comes up in the mind. And that certainly is really not necessary. So retreating who has practiced mindfulness intensively during a retreat will know from experience that being mindful of an intention allows for or allows one you know, to take a moment or two to briefly reflect whether you know, this intention is you know, beneficial or not, suitable or not, and if both criteria are fulfilled then one could decide to, you know, to act on it. Otherwise it might be wise not to act on it. So, this Satna then, just being mindful of sutna intentions, will, practically speaking, keep you out of a lot of unnecessary trouble. Now, probably, from day one of this retreat until the end of the retreat you will have uh, had to deal with a very particular phenomenon namely wandering mind is there anyone who has not had uh, uh, (laughs) certainly the privilege of dealing with wandering mind well so, wandering mind, certain thinking, and certain discursive, certain thinking, is a very common experience among human beings. Now, what's intensive mindfulness practice allows us to discover what? with regard to what you It's not permanent. What's that? It's not permanent. It's not permanent, for one thing. How to catch it and stop it. Oh, what's that, you? How to catch it. Oh, how to catch it and how to stop it, yes. So, Meena? Ah, oh, thinking, wondering mind is useless. Yes, and certainly, if we want to you know, take a general or use a you know, general term, we gradually come to know the nature of wandering mind. What this wandering mind is all about. At first, before intensive practice, we might hold wandering mind in great esteem. We might think highly of thinking. <laughs> and the more days go by, the more days we have this wonderful opportunity to take a closer look at wandering mind, the more we get somewhat disappointed with it. And we start realizing that there are all these funny forms of mental activity that come under wandering mind, such as obsessive thinking, such as random thinking, such as memories coming up, such as planning things that haven't even happened, or uh, not even worse. Worrying about certain things that certainly haven't even uh, happened. And we might suddenly then also uh, recognize how um, yeah, very easily in the absence of mindfulness a thought arises. It is somewhat certainly interesting. Immediately it leads on to the arising of the next thought and another thought and it becomes a train of thoughts. And with this easily five minutes might go by. Or we might notice how just upon the hearing a sound immediately the mind goes off thinking what well, this th- sound might be all about or even worse we might we might remember some painful some um, difficult experience from the past, and suddenly then. Mm, 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 And then this gives rise mm, to what? (laughs) The arising of plenty of emotions. And we sit there and shed tears. And the reason for this is just a silly thought. Just a silly mm, memory. And this is really not necessary. So, we might certainly find that because of mm, this uncontrolled certain thinking or you no know, wondering that we actually bring a lot of unnecessary suffering upon ourselves now, when we gradually. Get the point, and start understanding the true nature of wandering mind, and start detaching from the content of our thoughts, even if those are the most fascinating thoughts that have uh, you know, that have crossed our mind. With this, gradually, mindful or wandering mind you know, becomes less of a problem. Now, as our mindfulness over time tends to become sharper and faster we you know, will you know, then have a greater ability to catch the wandering mind more quickly and if we're lucky we can catch it in its very formative stage before even you know the content has fully you know, formed. now Later on with or a little bit later on with our mindfulness might mind be even stronger and suddenly then for the most part or at least at times the mind can be quite free from wandering mind. Now in the course of an intensive retreat, one comes across wandering mind many thousands of times and has plenty of opportunities to learn about its nature and also to learn means and ways of successfully and efficiently and successfully Mm. dealing with the wandering mind. Now, this sudden, then applied to our daily life might suddenly lead us to a point where you know, we you know, this might decide to really you know, control our mind wisely, as is expressed really nicely in Dhammapada verse 326, which says, "In the past." This mind has wandered as it liked, wherever it liked, at its own pleasure. Now, I will, from now onwards, I will control my mind wisely as a Mahout, so an elephant tamer, with his certain goat controls an elephant and must. One might also keep the Santana Sutta of the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the 20th 13th discourse, in the back of one's uh, mind. And so, with regard to wandering mind, one might apply those various remedies actually five of those in order to overcome wandering mind the first one giving attention to some other sign connected with what is wholesome and suddenly with this sudden then one's mind becomes steadied internally quieted brought to singleness and concentrated but if this does not work, then one might certainly um, apply you know, the second uh, approach, the second remedy being examining carefully the danger in those sudden thoughts. Now, if this sudden remedy does not work, one might certainly want to try to forget you know, those sudden thoughts and simply not give attention to them. If that, too, does not work, one might suddenly then give attention to the stealing or the stopping of those thoughts, formation, or the causes of those certain thoughts. And if that, too, does not certainly work, the fifth and final recommendation by the Buddha is that one, with teeth clenched and one's tongue pressed against the roof of one's mouth, one beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind. Any such unwholesome thoughts are abandoned in oneself, and thus the mind becomes steadied internally, quieted, brought or no, steadied internally, quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. This is, or such a retreatant is suddenly then called a true master of the course of thought. Such a person will think whatever thought he or she wishes to think and will not think any thought that one does not wish to think. So, in other words, intensive mindfulness certain practice will help us to understand the true nature of thinking will help us certain to learn ways of overcoming the wandering of the mind and will gradually slowly slowly step by step lead us to more mastery over the thinking so that we can think the thoughts that we want to think and not think the thoughts that we do not want to think so that certainly then for our daily life is certainly a great mm-hmm, benefit and with this we are you know, less mm, influ- less a victim of our mm, thoughts now very much related to thinking but also very much it related to, to you know, the feeling tone of an experience. Are our reactions, our emotional reactions? Now, during intensive practice, we might uh, experience suddenly uh, some um, sense, agreeable sensation in the body, and uh, that sensation will be accompanied by a pleasant feeling, sukha, and in the absence of mindfulness, what will arise? Craving, liking will arise. So we may want more of the same. Now, if we come across a pain, again, in the absence of mindfulness, this sudden pain is likely to be accompanied by an unpleasant feeling and sudden this sudden will lead on to the arising of ill will anger aversion towards sudden that sudden pain wanting to get rid of it the same thing um, also applies when an object, object, a sensation, does not have any outstanding features and thus is somewhat bland in its character. And that then will be most likely be accompanied by a neutral feeling, which then, in the absence of mindfulness, will give rise to ignorance. Now, having carefully observed this causal connection between the feeling tone of an experience, and be this a bodily formation or a mental formation, it doesn't matter, and how this satna then you know, automatically, or almost automatically, leads to you know, the arising of greed, of ill-will and satna ignorance. Well, we might suddenly then gradually get the point and start being more mindful of our feelings and not allow the mind to go off right away into liking, disliking or ignorance. So, if we have developed you know, this skill you know, during intensive practice, then it will come as a great you know, benefit in our you know, daily life. With this, we will be less mm, enslaved you know, to our feelings, and you know, we will be less overwhelmed you know, by our emotions. So, feeling is just another you know, object, and so it's worth you know, developing or it's worth observing it in a detached manner. If one has seen with intensive practice how, in the absence of mindfulness, you know, one can. Quickly go you know, from, or how if the feeling tone can quickly change from a pleasant feeling to an unpleasant feeling to a neutral feeling, back to an unpleasant feeling again, a you know, pleasant feeling, and so on and so forth. When one sees such near this and also sees the you know, reactions, you know, then oh, gradually one may want to you know, step. Put, you know, Or or, uh, detach from the whole thing and step back from the whole thing. And this suddenly then will bring about more calmness in the mind and less uh, um, reactivity. No, quite a number of fadhná n- during the course of Fudnyu, this intensive fadhná retreat had you know, the, you know, the wonderful opportunity to observe not only the arising of formations but also the dissolution of those the dissolution the breaking up the disintegration of formations now to have to or to um, observe the ending the breaking up of formations over and over again especially at the beginning is not really something that most certain retreatants cherish And at first, this usually does suddenly lead to some some subtle inner resistance. The mind just doesn't want to do it. It just doesn't want to uh, look at the ending, the breaking up of formations. Now, on occasion, it gets bored with it. It tries to get away from it in various ways. Happily goes back to old ways of seeing formations, seeing formations as arising and passing, and oh, how wonderful, you know, they're so clear. Now, again and again. following or observing what is really happening in one's practice, so going by reality, and suddenly when the dissolution of formations is the prevalent feature, then really to pay attention to this actually yields plenty of benefits. There are plenty of advantages to be derived from this, not only during the intensive practice, but also outside of retreat. Now, One of those certain advantages is, upon seeing formations as breaking up again and again, the view of the becoming of formations, or the so-called eternity view, still makes a lot of sense, or not? It does not. So that Satna then helps to let go of Sutner this wrong view. Also, upon time and again seeing you know, the ending of Sutner formations will help us to give up at least part of our attachment to life. Now, When one keeps seeing the dissolution of Futna formations, this means that one sees nothing other than the death of formations. So the death of formations, you know, the ending of formations, Becomes the most important experience, and that at times might remind a retreatant of what? The impermanence of one's own body and mind or life altogether, and mm, mm, in the end. It might remind oneself of death. So, the physical death that comes at the end of an existence. Now, so observing time and again the dissolution of formations then is a steady Mm. reminder that Mm. death could come at any time, in any form. If previously we had thought we can go on living happily and will be young and healthy and strong forever, old age is not for us, well, then at this point, uh, those views will get shattered. Now, in this connection, there is a beautiful short Tzatnyan discourse from the Samyutta its fifth part, namely section 440. It's entitled Clothes, and you will understand in a moment. O retreatants, if one's clothes or head were ablaze with fire, what should be done about it? The answer, Venerable Sir, if one's clothes or head were ablaze, to extinguish one's blazing clothes or head one should arouse. Extraordinary desire, Make an extraordinary effort, stir stir up zeal and enthusiasm mm. by unremitting and exercise of uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension. And the Buddha went on uh, to say oh bhikkhu's, bhikkhunis and certainly you know, retreatants. One might look on equanimously at one's blazing clothes or head, paying no attention to them, but so long as one has not, made the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths as they really are in order to make the breakthrough one should arouse extraordinary desire, make an extraordinary effort, stir up zeal and enthusiasm, be unremitting, and exercise mindfulness and clear comprehension. What for? namely, the noble truth of suffering, the noble truth of fatna, the cause or origin of suffering, the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, and then the noble truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering. So, during an intensive practice, experiencing time and again the dissolution of futna formations, Will make it uh, very clear uh, to us that we might not have that much time left, and we might feel like uh, a person uh, who's uh, a person with blazing uh, clothes or uh, head, and thus will be propelled uh, to. Um, uh, to undertake spiritual practice as much as possible. Now, so this certainly leads us you know, to and a constant application or constant exertion of effort in our mindfulness meditation, formal meditation, as well as when integrating mindfulness during our daily life. And we might realize that there are some of our activities that are really not necessary, that are not useful in any way, not connected to the goal of our practice. And with this, we might certainly then want to let go of certain forms of impure livelihood and just hold on to what is wholesome. If previously we've uh, wasted quite, uh, some and, uh, quite some time and quite uh, some time and a lot of our uh, energy on irrelevant uh, matters, hobbies, or whatnot, uh, then we might uh, uh, lose interest in those and uh, then stop pursuing them. Now. By seeing formations ending again and again we might certainly also come to understand, as was explained in an earlier Dhamma talk about the self and its deconstruction, that the self is just a construct, a mental construct, and this too falls apart. With this suddenly there will be some freedom from the attachment to a self, as well as some freedom you know, from you know, fear out of uh, um, you know, a perceived, wrongly perceived self. Now, seeing formations ending again and again, realizing that death could be just around suddenly the corner, we you know, then. Or the mind becomes more patient, and it also becomes more gentle. And those are the benefits that suddenly we are likely to, or that are likely to continue into our daily life. So some of our Impatience, earlier impatience, and certain you know, roughness in you know, conduct, this certain you know, will you know, go and will make way you know, for you know, patience, for the arising of patience and gentleness. Now, if earlier on you know, one was a master in distracting oneself and finding, or in, in uh, getting uh, caught up in. Exciting, participating in exciting events, whatever those sudden it might be, one now starts suddenly finding delight. In a secluded forest uh, mm, center, meditation center, delight in mental development through uh, vipassana practice, or and, and or samatha uh, practice, and uh, with this, one also gains some, mm, or one conquers to some extent aversion as well as uh, sensual delight. Now, a verse Satna that goes along with the sutta that was mentioned earlier on is as follows On seeing these eight perfect qualities, one comprehends formations constantly. Seeing breakup in order to attain the deathless like that sage with a turban, with a burning turban or with burning clothes. Now, what we've been practicing here throughout the month has been mindfulness. Continuity of mindfulness over and over and over again. Do you think there are some benefits to this in terms of the mindfulness itself? Yes? No? Just a waste of time? (laughs) Has your mindfulness improved in any way, Nada? Yes? You hope? hope You hope so. That's all. Well, I suppose certain that your mindfulness has become somewhat sharper in the course of this retreat, that your mindfulness has become somewhat faster. That's some Your mindfulness has become somewhat more detached and something calm, so less getting caught up in the formations and more being able to stand back. I hope that your mindfulness has also become somewhat more objective. And I hope that suddenly your mindfulness, or that you have become more professional in applying mindfulness to whatever predominant object comes up. And I also hope. Then you know, suddenly, your mindful, your uh, ability to pay attention and uh, your ability to observe you know, details will have improved in the course of this retreat. Not only this, but also you know, your observational skills have you know, improved. Now, what does this might mean for your daily life? If you've subjected the mind to an intensive training in mindfulness, well, then it brings about changes in the mindfulness itself, it improves. And this then means that in your daily life, your mind will be sharper, it will be quicker, your mindfulness will be more continuous, and uh, it will be more detached, it will be more calm. You are a better uh, observer, you see things that other people don't see, because their minds might be pretty dull, and uh, you might find that you make less mistakes than uh, before, and less mistakes than others. Usually, companies like to hire people who practice (laughs) mindfulness. (laughs) Would that be fair to state? I think so. So, if, uh, let's say... A company guy who is responsible for hiring staff, the, the hires a retreatant who you know, is a great expert in mindfulness, and hires another per- on the second person who uh, is a great fanatic of uh, getting lost in wandering mind. I. Bet within a week or two, the guy who is who has hired those sudden two you know, you know, you know, workers will know the difference and will know, you know, you know to value you know, the person who is uh, a skilled meditator and Satna, uh, see all the mistakes in you know, the other you know, person. Now. Do you think that uh, that, uh, the benefits of intensive practice for daily life are limited to just an improved mindfulness? Would you say so? Deborah? Better concentration. Ah. More uh, equanimous responses to situations. There you go. What's that? A faster mind. A faster mind, yes. And set- we could add to this A ret- on the intensive retreat or during intensive retreat. What do you need? In order to follow the schedule, in order to you know, do session after session, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, mindfulness. Perseverance. Hmm? Perseverance. Yes, perseverance. You need effort and it's not only that your mindfulness improves but your mental factor of effort energy will also greatly improve now if you spend day after day Making this additional effort, let me be mindful one more time and yet one more time, and let me be mindful even of this w- terrible pain that is uh, arising in my buttocks. Then, mm, you know, this continuous effort, exerting oneself moment by moment, will show results. And your overall effort by the end of the retreat will be much stronger than at the outset and will be much stronger than uh, in the case of this one worker or employee who lacks certain mindfulness and has not done uh, an intensive mindfulness retreat now um i find that The more we practice, the more we train the mind, the stronger the mind overall becomes stronger in effort, stronger in mindfulness, stronger in concentration, stronger in wisdom, stronger in equanimity, and also stronger in patience, and thus it will become much easier to handle the difficulties of life, and in particular in comparison to other people who simply couldn't care less about mindfulness meditation, who have no interest in uh, that direction. Now, when one has learned to discern what's going on in the mind, has learned to recognize wholesome states as wholesome, unwholesome states as unwholesome states, as explained earlier. On one you know, will be you know, one you know, manages to overcome the hindrances. Once uh, the quality of one's decisions will be good, one will have one is more likely to have a correct uh, vision and uh, thus do the right things in life than someone who lacks. Uh, this kind of a spiritual practice Mm -hmm. let's say if a life-threatening situation comes up in your life you uh, will already be experienced battling you know with a pain in your you know, mindfulness practice or battling with a difficult mental state and so when an you know Um, in real life a difficult situation arises, you know exactly what you have to do and you'll have the perseverance to stick it out and uh, to see through this difficulty. So you're less likely to give up whereas someone else would throw in the towel quite certainly quickly. Now, We did uh, speak about uh, equanimity during yesterday's Satna Dhamma talk, and there are a number of points that that were not mentioned, and allow me to tie those in, mm, mm, uh, in regard to to our uh, topic. Naming intensive practice will gradually lead us to a purification of the mind, will gradually lead us to the arising of equanimity, of intuitive wisdom, and certainly this wisdom and equanimity will be accompanied by a great deal of wholesome mental factors such as faith, mindfulness, moral shame, fear of wrongdoing, non-greed, non-hatred, tranquility of the mind, lightness, malleability, wieldiness of the mind, proficiency and rectitude of the mind. Now to experience those states for oneself can be quite an inspiring Inspiring event, quite a rewarding mm, thing you know, to happen. And one might be at all at the potential of the mind seeing what is actually possible. Seeing that it is possible to have a mind that is filled with wholesome mental states and equanimity being one of them. Now, During intensive practice, uh, we learn to carefully observe whatever predominant uh, object comes along. We see, or a seeing process takes place, we see some visible object, and at times we might notice a certain reactivity towards uh, the object seen. be this certain uh, liking the object or disliking uh, the object the same thing goes for the hearing process for the smelling process tasting process and so on and so forth but as we keep practicing until more and more equanimity arises at least at times we might have moments when a visible object desirable or undesirable comes into our field of observation and the mind simply remains equanimous. Simply remains suddenly detached and not uh, is not reactive. And that the same thing happens with regard certain, to the other five Saint-Store experiences. During such a period, at times we might you know, then experience that, at least temporarily, we have no preferences with regard to food, what. Every food Surya or Krasapna prepare, it's fine. As long as the food mm, is uh, nutritious and helps us mm, to get through one more day of Fatna practice, we are contented. Or we notice that we no longer have, at least temporarily, you know, that there's no partiality towards people, or we don't have any preferences with regard to the weather. If it's raining, that's fine. If it's sunny, that's fine. If it's foggy, that's fine too. Life goes on. Or we might find that suddenly we are quite balanced, or become quite balanced, whether we have a running nose or not, whether we're coughing or not. The same thing goes certainly for experiences in our meditation, whether we are coming across or having to observe a pain or a pleasant experience. It's the same, it's just another sensation, just another object to be observed. We might suddenly find that at least temporarily we have no preferences or no reactivity with regard to wholesome or unwholesome mental states. In the end, it's just another mental state. Now, Being yelled at is fine, being spoken to nicely is also fine being bitten by a mosquito or not bitten by a mosquito is okay. In both cases, okay. Whether we are successful or not, it doesn't matter. We've learned not to get excited, not to get elated when we are successful at times. And when a failure is Uh, unfolding a disaster is unfolding something is not not happening the way we want uh, it uh, to be we just know all we need to do is just to be mindful of presently failing so what is also there's many things to be learned from just that so developing or or during intensive but practice gaining a taste of uh, um, what equanimity is all about, and certainly then developing that equanimity so that it gets uh, quite strong, may have some really marvellous benefits for our, our daily life. And with equanimity well established in life, what do you think? You suffer more or less? obviously less and actually the mind in the presence of equanimity will be buffered it is as if covered all around and even if the greatest challenge comes along it simply it does not upset your mind so there are and so there are certain benefits In come along with equanimity. One, certain bodily movements tend to become much more graceful. And we also find that suddenly our reactivity is way down, even if at times some... Reactivity is there, we n- have n- the skill or have developed uh, n- the mental skill to n- quickly overcome that reactivity and turn it into non reactivity of the mind, which is a tremendous uh, uh, mental n- strength. So, as a result of this, uh, n- we suffered n- less. Now, much more could certainly be said, but as Satya indicated at Satna at the outset, uh, this is not meant to be a comprehensive Satna talk. Now, allow me to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk on the benefits From intensive practice as Satya then uh, arising during daily life by wishing the following or concluding stating the following life is short and in line with Thetna Dhammapada verse Satya thirty five, the mind is difficult to control. It swiftly and lightly moves and lands wherever it pleases. It is good to tame the mind, for a well tamed mind brings happiness. And to conclude, Appamadena Sampadita strive on with diligence. Not only during intensive practice, but also during your daily life. And this is it for tonight. Satsang with Mooji